Well, grab your Bibles. Is your Bible automatically open to the Gospel of Mark yet? Yes. All right. And so um, we're going to look at Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 20 today. And I'm really sad, Debbie, that we're coming to the end of Mark and, and that we already did a bunch of this stuff during Easter and that we're going to accelerate going through the rest of the book. Um, because I'm like, oh no, we're getting to the end. And so uh, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 20 the very end of what we looked at last week. Here's another reason before we read it, why you need to come to church every week, why you don't make excuses, because what God said to us last week is going to be an introduction to what God wants to say to us this week. And so starting at the end of what we looked at last week, verse 20, it says, And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you your transgressions. So, what's the, the heart of this text talking about? Prayer, right? That's what it's talking about. It's talking about prayer. Um, remember what's happened here. The story earlier, the verses earlier, Jesus had gone into the temple... And he'd flipped all the money changers' tables over and ran all the merchants out of the temple because they had done something about prayer. They had turned his father's house into what? A den of robbers. And he said it was supposed to be a what? A house of prayer. And this we looked at last week. So Jesus had gone into the temple. He was very frustrated by what he saw. The house of God was supposed to be a house of prayer. They had turned it into a place of selling merchandise. I think we said it this week, last week, like this. They had turned it into a Walmart. You know, and that's basically what it was. They were selling stuff. They were making money. They were getting rich. Um, and they'd just taken it from the very heart of what God intended and just made it into a, basically he's saying, a den of robbers, a bunch of merchants making money. And we saw last week that that withered fig tree, that's why we started back there, that withered fig tree that started off beautiful before he threw the tables over, ended up withered afterwards, that it was a visible parable of the condition of those folks. And it could be a parable of us, a picture of us that they looked nice in the beginning before he exposed them. They looked nice on the outside. Remember, the tree, has, it said in full leaf, and it was beautiful, and it was lush, and it was green, but it had no fruit. And so he cursed it because it had no fruit. So they look, it looked nice on the outside. They looked nice on the outside, but when he looked inside the temple, and looks inside of our temple sometimes, we can, he can see that they lacked fruit that pleased God, So in the end, he said they're going to end up withered and empty like that withered away tree. And he says partially because they were prayerless. It was supposed to be a house of prayer. They had turned it into a den of robbers. Now what we come to today is here, Jesus is following up on that text about about that, about prayer. And he's going to talk about because they were prayerless. Now he's going to talk about proper prayer as opposed to prayerlessness. And what's interesting here, and and it's important for me to point this out because we're going to do something a little different. I'm just going to do a a highlight of one thing and then move on to something else. What's interesting here is that he is really simply repeating what he just taught in chapter 9. 
Chapter 9, just a, a few weeks ago, we looked at chapter 9 where Jesus came off the Mount of Transfiguration and he encounters a, uh, a father and a son and the, the nine disciples that were left couldn't cast a demon out of the boy, remember? And he teaches a message about spiritual power, about how to do something spiritually powerful. In that case, cast a demon out of a boy. Um, and, if, and the center of that text was, all things are possible to him who believes. Basically restating um, here what he restated there. Um, and so this teaching that he's going to go on today, the beginning here, is really a duplication of that. And the reason I point that out is because we need to understand that if the Holy Spirit of God, inspiring the writers of Scripture, saw fit to repeat, repeat something twice in just two chapters, obviously there's a point he wants us to get. That repetition is for emphasis. And so here's what I'm going to say to you, that if you weren't here for the trolling motor illustration sermon, okay, who was here for the trolling motor illustration sermon? Okay, so a bunch of you weren't. If you weren't here for the trolling motor illustration sermon, you need to go on the website, portviewchurch.com, click on podcasts, and listen to that message about from chapter 9 of the Gospel of Mark about um, powerful prayer and basically how we move mountains. And, um, and so what I want to do today to encourage you to do that is just give you a little summary in three minutes about what that is, because I really believe it's a message God wants us to hear, but I, just didn't, I don't feel the Spirit of the Lord wants me just to reach, preach the exact same message again a couple weeks later after I just preached it. And so a, summaris, a summarization of what Jesus is saying here and what he said, said there is basically this, having spiritual power. In this case, spiritual power, he says, tell a mountain to move. In another case, tell a demon to leave a boy. That having spiritual power, the ability to, to, to do things beyond ourselves in the spirit, comes from speaking to the situation with great faith. Both of them say that. If you, if you say it and you don't doubt. Now understand, he's not talking about mental gymnastics. In the 80s, we went through a huge um, wrong spiritual teaching. The name it, claim it um, hyper faith that taught if you could just remove doubt from your mind and repeat it enough times it would happen well guess what it doesn't work it's not what God is saying and it's it's more metaphysics than it is Christianity and what he's saying here is that spiritual power comes from speaking to the situation with great faith but that great faith comes from something else it comes from knowing the will of God for the situation that you have to know the will of God in order to have great faith that the will of God is going to get done, and that knowing the will of God comes from a solid prayer relationship with the Lord. That, remember, it was like the trolling motor and the battery, and we said the prayer relationship was the cables that hooked the battery, the trolling motor, onto the battery, and you could have a great battery and a great trolling motor if the cables weren't hooked up, the power didn't flow, and the battery, the motor couldn't do what it was created to do. And it's the same with us. We are created to do incredible things in the Spirit. But if our, motor, if our cables aren't hooked up, the Spirit of the Lord can't speak to us. We won't know what He's saying. We can live and go to heaven. But we will not hear His voice saying, I want you to speak to this situation. And then, if you don't have that, then the mountain can't be removed. Matter of fact, what happens on a negative side is you will, in presumption speak to a situation, and maybe even publicly speak to it, and God never told you to do it, and when God never told you to do it, onlookers will look, it doesn't happen, and they'll say, see, you're just weird. You're just, it's just empty. 
It all comes down to the prayer relationship. Spiritual power is a result of a prayer relationship with the Father, where He reveals what His will is about a situation to our hearts, so that we can then, with great faith, pray for it to happen. We can then believe it's going to happen without doubting, and then we can state it's going to happen. It all comes down to the prayer relationship. And so if you want more about that, go to the podcast and listen to that message from uh, Mark chapter 9 about the trolling motor. It will make more sense to you. So that's that's, that's kind of in a nutshell what this is about. But there's something else here in this text that's closely related that I really think the Lord, and this is why I wanted to divert from just the heart of that to kind of an underlying idea that's inherent in this message that Jesus is teaching here on this day. It's an underlying idea that I think he wants us to understand. It's tied to praying for things to happen. It's tied to living our lives of power. And it's this. And I think it's something we don't generally understand. And I think it's something we we don't practice. And I will say this as, as, as confession. It's something I'm often really bad at. And so here's the good thing. We all get better. I was reminded this this week looking at this text and saying, God, I'm not so good at that. The Lord always reminds me of this. Moses didn't have it straight till he was 80. At 40, he tried to do it as though, and he messed up. God took 40 more years of basically reworking him until 80, he was finally ready to be used. And I said, well, God, I'm 48. I don't want to wait till I'm 80. You know, so maybe by 50, I'll have some of these things straightened out. And so um, what this, what the underlying idea is, is this, that there is great power in our words. That our words are words that can have, or do have great power. So we want to look at the power of words, because this is going to affect how you live your life as a family, how you treat your kids, how you treat your spouse, how you act in church, and how God can do supernatural things through you, a person um, who has, without the Spirit of God, doesn't have supernatural power. But the Spirit of God wants to flow through you supernaturally, and that that happens um, as the Spirit leads us in how we speak. Um, so let's look at look, what goes on in this text here. Because you're going to see something. All that goes on in the text, that story we just read here today, has to do with words that are spoken. Not thoughts that are thought, not things that are written. It all has to do with words that were spoken out loud and other people heard the words. What's, what happened with the tree? Jesus walks by the tree and it says he cursed it. And that was in the text before it withers, before he goes and cleanses the temple. His disciples are kind of, kind of figuring what's going on because he out loud, the disciples heard it. He curses the tree to show a, a spiritual truth and later the tree is, is uh, withered. With words, another time, Jesus goes into the temple, what's he do? It says he rebukes the money changers. He says with his words, not only did his actions where he flipped the tables over, but he rebuked and it said, and he taught them, my father's house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. If he would have simply thought it and flipped the tables over, it wouldn't have had the same effect, right? We would have said, Jesus is a lunatic. He's going around throwing tables over. But he had a real reason why he did it. His words were powerful. He said, this is why I'm doing. Jesus says in the... In the um, in the text here we just read, he says this, that with our words, that we can speak to the mountain, and it will be removed. Isn't that what, exactly what he says? Speak to the mountain, and it can be removed. Jesus says also, that with words, we need to offer forgiveness to those who have offended us, because we, can't, we, can't we cannot offer forgiveness to somebody, and forgive them, and offer forgiveness, if we don't speak to them. 
So we need to offer forgiveness to those who have offended us or hurt us in order to receive forgiveness ourselves and then in turn have our prayers answered. You'll notice here he's tying unforgiveness to a lack of answer to prayer. One of the real reasons that sometimes we say, how come I pray that doesn't happen, is your heart's filled with unforgiveness. That's what he says here. That's what he says in the Lord's Prayer also. Forgive or you won't be forgiven. We don't like that. We say, but God, you forgive. He says, okay, I'll forgive. You forgive also. Um, So with words, we can literally speak blessings or cursings. That's what he wants us to get here. With our words, we can actually speak blessings into people's lives and spiritual blessings, and we can speak curses into people's lives and, and, and curse things, in a sense, spiritually. Because words are powerful, and I believe words are more powerful than we probably ever believe. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about the power of words. You see, this is what, this is what I believe the Scriptures teach. It teaches that there is great power in what you and I say. In fact, I believe God's plan is for your words and my words to be creative. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about being inventive. Kind of we think creativity. No, creative in the sense of creating things to happen. That our words are meant to be creative, to cause things to happen. And for your words to have situation-altering power. For your words to bring change into your situation and change into the situation of other, other people. Jesus says here, speak to the mountain and it will be removed. Situation altering power. He says elsewhere in the gospel, Mark, speak to the disease and it will be healed. He says elsewhere, speak to the demon and it will flee. He says you've been given authority. Speak and it will happen. And friends, understand from the first, very first words of Scripture all the way to the end of the book, the Lord has been modeling for you and I throughout all of Scripture that our words are powerful and things we can actually have creative speech. In the beginning, very first words of the Bible, what's it say? In the beginning, God speaks. He says, let there be light. And there is light. He speaks. Isn't it interesting that the Scripture starts off, it doesn't say God just did it. It says God speaks, let there be light, and there's light. He spoke creation into being. And in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen that Jesus Jesus spoke. He said, peace, be still, and the storm was still. Notice, he didn't just stand up, wake up, and go to himself, well, God, I wish you'd calm the storm. He speaks to the storm, and they all heard it, and the storm is filled. There was some power in him speaking. Jesus spoke to the demon-possessed boy in the Mount of Transfiguration, coming off there, chapter 9 that we've been referring to, and this is what he speaks. He says, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And it says, Then the spirit left. He spoke it. See, the Lord gave us these examples so that his followers would speak under his authority by the leading of his spirit, bringing the situation-altering power of the Holy Spirit into the realm of human reality. Did you get that whole thing? Let me repeat it. The Lord gave us these examples so that his followers would speak under the authority of, of, of the Lord, by the anointing, by the leading of the Spirit, bringing the situation-altering power of the Spirit into the realm of human reality. And as he expl- exp- uh, uh, modeled that, then we see in the New Testament, his followers then began to follow his lead, do the same thing, and that power was revealed through them. So, Peter, after being Spirit-filled, 
encounters a guy sitting at the temple gate called Beautiful. He walks up to him in the book of Acts, beginning of the book of Acts. He looks at him. The guy thinks he's going to give him money. He says, he doesn't give him any money. What's he do? He looks at him and he speaks to him and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have to you I give. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the man's feet and ankles are healed. He jumps and it says he jumps and leaps and praises God. And everybody says, isn't that the guy who used to sit at the temple? And he's healed. Peter spoke. He followed the modeling that had come all the way through through Scripture. One of the greatest um, examples of that in all of Scripture is the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13 when he's, he's going on his first missionary journey and they come to the island of Cyprus and he encounters a magician uh, named Elimus. And this guy, it says, is leading people away from the truth. Paul's trying to preach the truth of the gospel. And he's basically saying, this guy's a fraud, don't listen to him. And instead he'd been convincing people of his greatness by his magical acts in time past. And they thought he's somebody great. And so the Apostle Paul, who, uh, get it, the, the reason God chose the Apostle Paul to do such great things is for you and I to get something. That God can use anybody. He was a murderer who opposed everything of God. God chose him on purpose to say, if I can use this dude, I can use anybody. He stood opposed to the church. He's the rankest of sinners. He was, here's a real problem. He's religious as the day is long. He knew everything about religion, knew nothing about a walk with God. And he, God chooses, and Paul says, God chose me. God chose him and appoints him to be apostle to the, to the Gentiles. And he takes this guy, this guy is following the example of God, of the power of words, and he comes to the island of Cyprus, and he's got this guy named Elimus, who's, who's, who's trying to halt the message of God, and he says this. He looks at him, you know, he didn't read a book. The Spirit of the Lord led him, he says this. He says, you are full of all deceit, to Elimus he says this. You're full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And the scripture says the man went blind. I don't say how long he went blind, but it happened. He spoke the words to this guy under the leading of the Holy Spirit, and there was situation altering power in the words he spoke, and this Elimus goes blind through the situation. Friends, it's God's plan that the words that we speak are to be powerful for producing good, for the advancement of his kingdom, and for the blessing of its residents, the residents of its kingdom. See, we are to speak blessings into our world. Blessings just as powerful and dramatic as those we've just mentioned, and that's possible because we're spirit-filled. But here's the place I want to hear, not that I want to negate this, but here's the place I want you to really hone in on today. It's got a red star next to it in my notes. I want you to get it. It's a red star point for you in here. It's this. Not only are we to speak blessings into our world, blessings as powerful and dramatic as these we've just mentioned, but... We are to speak blessings that are just as powerful, but less dramatic. Just as powerful, but less dramatic. Words of love and encouragement that can literally shape people's lives. Let me give you an example. Who's ever seen the movie, The Help? Or read the book, The Help? About half of you. It's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a feel-good movie. It's, um, I don't know if it's supposed to be based on a real story or not, I have no idea. But it's written about a bunch of African-American ladies in the Deep South, in, in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, in the 1960s. 
and they've all been former slaves, their parents were slaves, and their, great, and their grandparents were slaves, and they basically still lived like slaves under segregation in Jackson, Mississippi. They were incredibly misused, incredibly abused, and the, I, the, this, this uh, girl who was raised down there become, goes off to college, goes to Old Miss, gets an education, and she comes back and she's fine. she's different than the other girls she grew up with, who all have these African-American ladies living in their houses or working at their houses as helpers. They're being paid, but they're basically treating them just like slaves still. And she wants to know what they're like, so she, she does what's illegal, and it was illegal, against Mississippi law, to go in and to find out, built to, to find out how they live, how they feel, what's it like, and then write about it. And so she writes a book with all the dirt that's going on in all these kind of rich white ladies' homes, and she publishes it, and it was funny is she puts a part in there that's so nasty that she knows the ringleader of the whole town will deny that it's from their town because it's a nasty thing about her. And so she knows that it's kind of the safety that as long as that's in the book, that they'll, they'll always deny it from Jackson, Mississippi, and that, she, that, that the ladies that are sharing their stories will be safe. And there's one, the main character in the story, you just you get your heart for her because because she has been raising little white girls and little white boys. And that's the way she talks about it. You know, for, for all the white ladies who want to go off and have their parties and their teas, she's really been raising their kids. And she's really their mama. And she recognizes, and it says in the very beginning of the movie, she recognizes how she could encourage people. And she tells them something all the time. She goes up, and in two scenes in the movie, she says it, and then in the scene we're going to watch in just a second, it's a 60-second clip in just a minute, we're going to see the result of it. But what happens is she goes to all these little kids all the time, and remember what she whispers to them. She looks them in the face, and she says, you is kind, you is smart, and you is important. And she tells those kids that all the time. She speaks words of blessing into their life because they're kind of living in a world where their parents are just kind of ignoring them and letting somebody else raise them. And she speaks into all of them. She holds them by the face and she says, you is kind, you is smart, and you is important. Now, let's watch what happens as a result of that. Let's make sure our volume is up. We only got 60 seconds. Baby, you need to get the back to bed. She's getting fired from her job right here. I got to, baby. I am so sorry. Are you going to take care of another little girl? No, that's not the reason. I don't want to leave you. But it's time for me to retire. You're my last little girl. No! Baby. Baby. I need you to remember everything I told you, okay? Okay. You remember what I told you? You're kind. You're smart. You're important. Don't go, baby. I got you, baby. You give my sweet girl a chance. The underlying story of this is that that mother, who's very prim and proper southern gal, she's very attractive and she's very thin, doesn't like her little daughter very much because she's kind of heavy. And they're always making comments about her eating too much and being a little heavy. And she says her mama, mama doesn't really love her, doesn't really, isn't really proud of her because of how she looks. And this lady takes her in and speaks words of life into her and says, you was kind, you was smart, you was important. And, you know, maybe that's not as dramatic as standing in a storm and saying, peace, be still, 
and having the storm, the storm clouds stop, go away, and the waves settle down, but is just as powerful as that. And God wants us to speak just as powerfully in our world. The words that we speak can help to make or to break another person. One of the words, you, scripture verses, every one of us ought to memorize is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, and it says this. It says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue or the words of the wise brings healing. You see, friends, we have the ability to speak healing into people's lives. We can encounter people who are down and who, who, um, who, are, who, who need to be encouraged and we can encourage them and we can bless them and we can strengthen their resolve to go on all by the words that we speak because our words are incredibly important. They're powerful. They shape us. The words that your parents, a parent speaks to a child when they're little will shape them for the rest of their life. The words that a, that a coach, if you've been watching the Olympics, over and over you hear the words of the swimmers and of the, of the gymnasts and saying, you know what? I thought I couldn't do it, and my coach said I could do it. Through their words, they challenged me, and I went on. I remember a time when, when Josh and Brett were younger, much younger, and Suzanne and I had gone to one of our, our mentor couples, and, and if you don't do something like this, I encourage you to do it. Guess what? You don't know everything in any stage of life you're at. And we looked, we identified couples in our lives that we said, their kids were grown farther than ours, and we said, we like the way your kids are turning out. We like the way your family dynamics run. And we went to them and we said, we invite you to be our mentors. One man wasn't even a Christian. His wife was a believer. He wasn't. And we went as the pastor of the church. I went to this man and I said, we give you permission to speak into our lives because we're so impressed with how they raise their children. All their children are serving God. That man is now a pillar in the church. He got saved. He's now a pillar in that church. And uh, they're probably our favorite people in that city. And uh, we always say, we want to become like this family. And the other day I looked at Suzanne and I said... It happened. We're like them. It's, our boys are the way, that, the way these people's boys are. But here's what we did. We asked one of our mentor families. We've had two of them in our lives where we just said, you've got free reign. You tell us anything. We will never be angry with you if you tell us, Mark, you're wrong. Guess what they would often? They would say, Mark, you pushed your kids too hard. And I'd try to back off. Suzanne, they don't really have to eat vegetables. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And so... Uh, and so they, they said, okay, you know, they, they spoke into our lives. And one time we were talking about discipline issue with, with, with our boys, with one of the boys. And uh, the couple told us about one of their children. And said, talking about their son, who's now a very successful doctor, who uh, is serving the Lord and is raising his family for the Lord. Um, and they, they talked about their, about their son and said that he never would respond to strong discipline because they're trying to get me primarily to back off a little bit, you know. And uh, they taught how he never responded to strong discipline. And in fact, they said as they raised him, it seems the harder they got with him, trying to get him to, to really just in heart, in good heart, wanting him to do what he should do, that the harder they got with their discipline, that the worse he became. And so they had a brainstorm. They said, let's try exactly the opposite. And so what they began to do is they began to intentionally and repeatedly praise their child. They looked for anything and everything, everything positive they could to praise their child about. Just tell them how wonderful he is. And they said, you couldn't believe it. Our child responded so wonderfully. And in time, the discipline problems they were having with their child went away and they were gone and their, and their child turned out, turned out you know, really good with no discipline problems. And they found this. Their words of praise were powerful. 
Friends, the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's what God wants us to know. The tongue of the wise brings healing. And that, friends, is what God wants us to do. You know, I know we love when kind of the message that God brought us to last week, looking at what's just really punching us in the face spiritually. But I tell you what, this is more of a punch in the face spiritually than that is from the Lord because this is something that, that we can walk out of this place with different today. We can say, you know what, I understand, God, I need help in this, but my words can bring healing. My words can send people on the right course. My words can, can literally change, alter situations. The tongue of the wise brings healing, and that's what God wants us to do, right? Right. Now, unfortunately, there's the other side of the word coin. It says, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of the sword. I tend towards this one at times. Suzanne was embarrassed by me the other day, I think, or at least shocked. I didn't try to do this. I didn't mean anything by it, but I was buying a pair of shoes. <laughs> and she was with me, and the gal selling me the shoes was going to have a knee replacement. And I thought of Dick, and I said, Dick Fisher, his, his hip, hip knee, knee replaced. What did you have? Knee replaced. And I told her, I said, don't go to a regular hospital. You'll die. <laughs> I didn't mean it to come out like that. I said, there's these orthopedic hospitals that that the guy from my church is wondering. I was so impressed because there's no sick people there. And I said, I found out at the place that they go there because no one gets staph infections because they don't have a whole bunch of sick people. I said, and they just came out. I said, don't go there or you'll die. You know, I said, go to the orthopedic hospital. And it didn't mean it to come out like that. We walk out and Suzanne says, basically, what is wrong with you? And I said, well, what? I was just telling her, go to the orthopedic hospital. Don't go to the, don't, don't take a chance on getting, on getting a staph infection. It was, you know, in some ways, it was like the thrust of a sword, you know. And Suzanne's like, great, you just told the lady she's going to die. And I said, well, that's not what I meant. I was just encouraging her, <laughs> you know. It's a funny way to encourage her. But understand. That just as, I hope they were so powerful, Dick, that she goes to the orthopedic place and not to the, just the regular hospital. But just as powerful as our words can be for good, they can be equally as powerful to do harm. We can speak words that are curses in the lives of other people. And friends, obviously that's not what God wants for his church. Um, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of James with me. The book of James... Uh, that has something to say about this that I think is so powerful. James, kind of near the end of your New Testament, after Hebrews, chapter 3. Let's look what it says about, about the tongue. The tongue meaning the source of our speech. Chapter 3, starting in verse 8, it says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. And man, if you don't see that as true, your eyes are closed. You could have a guy shackled by the police in a straitjacket, dragging him off the court, and he's spewing stuff at the cameras that are in their face. You know, you can tame, you know, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father. He says, obviously, James has written to Christians. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? 
Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? James here, friends, let's remember, is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. He's not saying this to lost people. He's saying this to you and me about how we use our tongues. And he's, he's, he's giving a really strong warning here. He's telling us that it is not right for both blessings and cursings to come from the same mouth. He says we can't praise God with our mouth and then curse men who are made in the image of God with the same mouth. In fact, this is what he's trying to communicate. He's saying it's unnatural for that to happen in the life of a Christian. He says there's something not natural about it. It's not right when that happens. He says it's like a spring producing both salt and fresh water. He said that would be unnatural. It couldn't happen. A spring can't produce both fresh and salt water. He said it's like a fig tree that grows olives. He said it's unnatural. It can't happen. It's not right. No one would expect it. It can't happen. It's wrong. And I think he, it's, it's really important for us to get what he, the point he's making here. Scripture is saying that it's unnatural for a true believer to speak both blessings and cursings to people. It's wrong to have your word be a sword one minute and a healing balm the next. It's a sign that something is really spiritually wrong. That something is wrong when someone can come to church on Sunday morning sing all the wonderful songs, lift up holy hands, get excited for Jesus, and then curse the driver who cuts him off in traffic on the way home. Or worse yet, belittle the children in the back seat, or with the words, thrust and kill the wife or the husband who's in the seat next to them. James says it's unnatural. He said it shouldn't, it shouldn't come naturally out of a person. Because when Christ comes into our life, we are to be changed from the inside out. That's how we know if we're really walking with Christ. Not that we become perfect, but we're changing. We desire to change. We want, we were changed from the inside out. And what comes out of the mouth, we see from Scripture, flows from the heart. So if the words, and unfortunately my words to the lady, you'll die, were meant for good, although they were dumb. That what happens, that what, what, what um, comes out of the mouth flows from the inside. So if the words that come out are curses, words that do harm and destroy, they flow out. It's a sign that there's something wrong on the inside that needs to be surrendered to the Lordship and the control of Jesus. Now understand here, this is James writing to believers. He doesn't write to believers to condemn them. He doesn't write to believers to criticize them. He writes to believers to help them. To help them overcome obstacles that are keeping them from becoming the kind of kingdom people God has created them to become. So he points these things out not to be mean, but to be loving. And he says, listen, if what flows out is improper, let that be an invitation to you and me to invite the Lord to reveal what's going on on the inside so that we can turn that over Him to the, Him and have Him deliver us from whatever's going on to cause us to forgive what we need to forgive, to let go of what we need to let go, and then receive healing from the Lord so that what flows out is kindness instead of curses. He says, let it be a, a flag. I think I've used this illustration for you before, but I think of it right now that, that I, I, sometimes I go ice fishing, not that much, but you set up a tip-up and there's a, there's a, a tip-up, so a, a gizmo that got a line on a spool that goes in and you put bait on the bottom and you pull this flag down on a spring and you put a little thing over it, a little thing. And when the, when the fish pulls the line, it turns this little, this little lever and the flag pops up and everybody yells, 
flag, and you all run to the hole. It's a reminder. Something's going on down here. When something unnatural comes out of your mouth, that should be unnatural. It may have been completely natural for your life before Christ, but it's still happening after you come to Christ. That ought to be a tip-up flag saying, listen, something's wrong. Out of the same mouth, it's unnatural to have blessings and cursings. Something's wrong, and what do we do when something's wrong? We go to God and we say, God, help me identify what's wrong, to forgive what I need to forgive, because generally when we speak painful things, it's because we have hurts on the inside, and we need to be healed on the inside of the hurts that are in there. And so we say, God, heal my hurts. Take care of things on the inside, so that what flows out is something that is healthy and whole and a blessing. We ask God for his deliverance and his healing. And friends, understand, God loves to set us free and to lead us into levels of greater maturity. That's what he wants to do with us every single day of our life. Because he loves us that much. He wants to get us better. So church, you know what? Our words are powerful. We have the power to bless and to curse. This thing inside of here, this little tongue, is probably the... The, the way you're going to really find out ultimately where you're at with the Lord is what's going on with that thing right there. Powerful, the blessing to curse, to curse. Friends, let's be a church. Let's be a church where the atmosphere is filled with blessing one another. It is filled with building each other up. And you know what? If there are issues that you have with people, it is sin to not deal with them and speak words of healing between people. And when people walk in the door, guess what, if they don't look like you, talk like you, act like you, instead of saying, I can't believe, and something negative coming out of your mouth, speak a word of blessing and say, praise God, look at the diversity of our church family. We speak words of blessing. Let's be a church where the atmosphere is filled with blessing one another and building one another up. Let's be a place where no criticism is heard, where gossip is not spread, and be a place of blessing. Because that's what God wants. And then his word will be true that says they'll know we are, his, his, we are his by our love one for another. If it happens at church, it'll happen in the home. It'll happen in the workplace. And we will be functioning as natural believers. That what flows out of our mouth and what happens, this is how it happens to me. As something begins to come out or just comes out and it's wrong, and then I go, Ooh, stop. You know, sometimes I don't stop soon enough, right? I say, you're going to die, you know. <laughs> but you stop it if it's really met, if you're really doing it to tear somebody down. And you repent and you apologize and you say, God, now heal what's broken inside. And so, friends, you know what? We've been taught, men, we've been taught to be sharp with our tongues. You've been taught it. You've been taught it. It's the natural thing when you live in the world. It's natural Cut people down. Be sharp. And unfortunately, ladies, our culture's changed so much, you're being taught to be like men. And I'm telling you, it's not what God wants. Our mouths can bless. When you think of that scene, you look at somebody, and what you want to basically say is, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. That's basically what we want to say to one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. As we wrap up our time, I encourage you just to spend some time allowing God to bring healing into your heart if you recognize that what comes out often is hurt or anger and bitterness and it usually comes out in the form of attacking other people. It's like the thrust of a sword. That here's what we do naturally. 
that when we feel bad about ourselves, we push other people down to step on them to raise ourselves up. That's what goes on. We don't actually think through that process, but it's happened when you're always attacking other people. It's because you are small in your own eyes. You are small inside. God wants that rec- you recognize in Him that you're a giant. That you're, that you're His child. And He has destined you for greatness. And let's not let the devil keep us locked in this thing that can hinder us from moving forward. So take some time to allow the Lord to bring healing to you if you realize that you're just not satisfied with what's coming out of your mouth on a regular basis. Here's what the Bible says the most powerful words are. It doesn't say it like that, but I think it's safe to say. It says when we come to Jesus, it tells us that we can confess with our mouth. Jesus says, Lord. Believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. It says, confess with your mouth. It doesn't say think it in your heart, in your head only, and just believe it in your mouth. It says, confess it. That if you come to Christ, it tells you in Romans chapter, chapter 10 that you need to confess it with your mouth. That's why I always say this. If you come to Christ, I always say before the sun goes down tonight, you tell somebody who's a believer that I, today I gave my heart to Jesus. There's power in your words. There's power to cement it in. Confess it with your mouth. We had a time in the middle of service, unscripted, unplanned, to give people a chance to say, if I don't know Christ, today's the day to accept it. If you did that or you need to do it now, as we close, come see me. I'll be right up here. And you confess it with your mouth. If you receive the Lord before the sun goes down tonight, confess it to somebody who gave your life to Christ. Believe it in your heart. And it says that you shall be saved. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. For the joy and the and the struggle of going through your word. Thank you, you love us so much that you that you pinpoint things in our lives that can be uncomfortable, but you do it because you want us to get better. And so, Father, today I pray your blessings upon every person in this place. I pray that the way we speak would be altered. That, Lord, every one of us needs to speak um, better than we do. Because our words are so powerful to bless or to curse. God, may may we be a church that is known for words of blessing. That when somebody walks in the doors of our church, walks in the doors of our homes, walks in the doors of our businesses, what they experience is the blessing of God coming through the mouth of somebody that is a believer that is to create then wonderful outcomes and change situations. So Lord.